Hi everyone, welcome to the Right Angle Podcast. This is the podcast that focuses on the process of design, where each episode I will highlight one exceptional creative individual with unique perspectives and experiences within the world of spatial design through actual conversations about their design principles, philosophy, and process. I want to discover what makes each designer, artillier, and artist unique. I'm your host, Al Liu, an interior designer in New York City. In the world that celebrates influencers, The Right Angle will be a podcast that celebrates real designers who makes the industry what it is, and for listeners to get a glimpse into the true creative mind. This week, I'm excited to have Bell Eskowitz and Anthony Ash, co-presidents at Pratt and Larson, here with me on the Red、right、Angle Podcast. As a tile company, Pratt and Larson is a team of artists and alchemists at heart. They transform earth into tile, glass into glades, and environments into experiences. Pratt and Larson was originally founded in 1982 by husband and wife team Michael Pratt and Rita Larson. Where the business was built on a passion for art, design, and color. In 2017, after being longtime team members at the firm, Bell and Anthony purchased the company from its original founders, eager to maintain and grow the Pratt and Larson spirit with a unique team culture and commitment to the craft of tile making. Under their leadership, Pratt and Larson has expanded its decade-long reputation as a leading luxury tile maker to include a number of new contemporary design approaches, blending ancient techniques with modern applications. In our conversation, Bell and Anthony explain their unique point of view for developing the Made Water Collection, the complex processes behind some of their well-known and custom tiles, as well as their vision for the company moving forward. Hi, Bella and Anthony. Thank you for joining me on the podcast. Hi. Hi. We're excited to be here. I'm so glad. So I always、um, start each episode by asking my guests the same question. Could you tell us about your philosophy towards what you do, and what are some of the principles that guide you throughout the creative process? We、um, gave this question a lot of thought. It's、mm-hmm. uh, not an answer I had kind of handy.、Uh, We went to our mission statement, which is something we've been working on really recently with a marketing team,、mm-hmm. and their whole thing was that like you should have one word, and so our word is enrichment.、Uh, I think that ties a lot to our、uh, design philosophy, and you know certainly like our goal as a company、uh, to enrich. Uh, our you know business partners to enrich our team with、uh, training and coaching and、uh, to enrich、uh, designers in their ability to、uh, do their work and, and their design and so in my mind our design philosophy as a company is about、uh, offering designers a kind of a toolkit that lets them shine their vision the parts and pieces that we create. We want them to feel like Pratt and Larson, but we want them to be flexible enough that they allow all the different styles a designer might want to use、uh, to sort of shine through and let that designer's aesthetic、uh, come through. And I think the things that make Pratt and Larson stand out that you might know, like, oh, that's a Pratt and Larson tile, is、uh, a certain amount of depth to our glazes,、uh, timelessness,、uh, quiet designs, you know.、Mm-hmm. Have bold patterns,、um, but、uh, 
and bold color choices. But, but again, I, I feel like we sort of take a, a step back from uh, the stage and let the room shine through as well.、Mm-hmm. So, what do you mean by quiet design? Does that mean so effortless, but it's very intentional, or things like that? I think certainly intentional and effortless both feel like great explanations. I- Our material,、um, I think, it leaves room for the de- designer's voice. Gotcha. So our, our tile looks like our tile. I, I can pick it out of anything. It's like, oh, that's us, and that's really cool and gratifying. <laughs> Um, but the the many ways that it gets used, you know, by different designers and homeowners, and、um, I can hear their voice and see their vision and what they've done. They've used our line to express themselves.、Mm-hmm. So that's the best、yeah. that we can hope for. Yeah, I know exactly what you're talking about. So I've seen Pratt and Larson's tile being used in many different ways. And、uh, you know, I'm often pleasantly surprised by the possibilities that many talented designers can come up with. So, what makes you want to push Pratt and Larson's made-to-order collections to have this flexibility to be applied in almost endless ways? We've been working、uh, in this industry and and really for this company before we owned it for a super time.、Uh, Between the two of us, have hit kind of every department in you know in the whole studio. But I spent a lot of time out on the road, training showrooms, talking with salespeople, doing presentations out at、um, you know architect and design firms,、uh, and I, I, I feel a need to supply them with the parts and pieces that、uh, make their job easier. You know. See kind of the struggle with well, I really like this, but it only came in two colors, or I really,、uh, you know, the shape was fascinating, but the scale doesn't work for my project.、Uh, so being able to offer a line that is flexible, that we can customize, that we can,、uh, you know, take that color from this one thing that you liked and this shape from another piece, and then scale it to the size that you need,、uh, it it just allows. For so much more interesting design than to have things out of the box, to have kind of a little more of that、uh, that creative flexibility. It's like a bespoke, you know. It's it's being able to pick the best things that you love from a number of different areas and, and combine them.、Uh, and that felt really important. It felt like something no one else was doing、uh, really successfully. So, and do you feel like that's what? So, like, sets Pratt and Larson apart from other tile maker or tile company. Yeah, I think that's probably the biggest piece is is、um, that customization factor.、Um, it, it's that toolkit. It's that we're more interested in providing you as the designer with the elements that you need to create your vision than we are about it feeling like our tile. You know, oh, that's Pratt and Larson look. Uh, and I feel like there are lots of、uh, tile lines or you know products and companies that that's their main focus, right? Is that oh you know me and identify me, but but I think something that sets us apart pretty dramatically is that、uh, that we want to partner with designers more.、Uh, we want to be a piece of the the puzzle. You know, we make tile, but. That's not the end of the the story, right? It gets there in boxes and parts and pieces. It still needs 
the installer to do a wonderful job. It needs that vision of that designer to put the right parts and pieces together and to think about all those, uh, the corners and the special pieces that really make a, a good job well done. Uh, and we like being part of that team. Uh, I, I wanted to just draw some attention to like the color palette is really- Oh yeah, totally. That's a centerpiece for our what, what our collection is. Um, you know, and I think that's um, in in the great company that we have in the handmade tile world. Our you know our peers are wonderful, and it's humbling to you know be among them. Um, but you know, I, I I see our color palette as this you know just really vast and strong part of what we do and what we can offer. I will have to agree with that. Speaking of that, so like how do you develop a color i know that you don't see the color in the end until it gets fired right whatever you add you don't know how to add <laughs> so that just like i just cannot understand it so like how do you even develop the color just the one you're looking for or sometimes it's a mistake you're like oh this is actually great We've developed some really powerful tools in our glaze making department where, okay. you know, we've got all the different glaze bases, you know, from custom mat to craftsman to crackle. Um, and it, for each one of those glaze bases, we, we've got amounts of pigment of, of all the pigments that we use in a quarter percent and 2% and then with some zirco packs added. So it gives us like this, range of how those pigments appear in those glazes mm -hmm. so wall it's just it's just uh, it's really powerful um, and so when we get when we're just making our catalog you know that's what we use to keep us ourselves honest um, but a lot of the times even though we offer hundreds of colors someone will as you said it won't be the right green so they'll send us a tip or uh, sort of example uh, that they want us to do uh, a version of we'll just we'll literally hold that paint chip up against this these tools that we have mounted gosh and, and then it becomes kind of trial and error we um kind of pick an amount of a, a blend of the pigments and we put a test through and then we make adjustments and keep going and sometimes there in one or two tries that's kind of rare uh, but uh sometimes it takes like two or three weeks of tests oh my god to to finalize on a color yeah oh wow a lot of the challenge there is that uh you don't you know each each time you make a test it has to go through the kiln so the process takes 12 hours of firing so so you have these kind of long stretches. So each day you could do maybe a couple of tests um, and put them in, and then the next day you'd see the results and know how close they were. Uh, and we have a great team who does our glaze making. And so they have a lot of experience with those pigments. They have a good idea of where to start. And um, they might you know, look at their charts and say, okay, well, I have this glossy pink glaze that's pretty close to where the client wants to go, but I'm gonna add 2% uh, of this colorant and half a percent of that uh, and then from there they kind of just you know keep uh keep chipping away at it and see you know right oh that test worked but it needs a half a percent more of this or yeah that makes sense so how many colors does pratt and larson have officially 
Well, yeah, that's a great question. You know, if, I think if we counted everything that we've had in the line uh, and created a, a code in our system for, it's, it's around 300. Gotcha. That's a lot. Things that have been on the menu. Yeah. Yeah. We, we don't try to narrow that down a little bit so that we can, you know, focus on a palette uh, a little reasonably. So now our official colors, I think it's at about 180. Um, okay. But our custom color matching, are we at like 12,000 or something? We, you know, yeah. we number them as each one comes in. So, you know, over 10,000 times we've yeah. done custom colors for people. And oh my gosh. At some yeah. point, years into the company, we started uh, keeping a log. And yeah. before that, you know, there was, you know, who knows how many. But yeah, we're at, uh, I think, 11,000 something, something. Got it. So this is just when you start counting. Yeah, yeah, right. That's yeah. so funny. It's like you guys can open your own, like, sort of like a Pantone book already. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, I wish it were that organized. I think that's one of the things our uh, R&D team's working on is, is how to track those custom colors so that later if something comes in that's really close, you can just pull that formula again. Right, right. That's so interesting. And speaking of like custom color or design, so do you guys have some custom design you ever done you're like oh my god this is like so crazy people send super funny things in to be like a color match or the inspiration uh for a long time we were known for uh very like craftsman style decorative tiles so there were lots of pine cones and bears and uh you know uh realistic or you know representative yeah. uh, imagery stuff and so people would send us uh, like we do a sea life panel and they one person sent us a shower curtain that had sea creatures on it and they were like oh we want to match the shower curtain and i'm thinking the tile's gonna last a lot longer than the shower curtain like right this is what you want to use as your inspiration but we've also had people send like grandma's dishes to match and uh you know bits of pieces of fabric and um we had a, a pumpkin sent yeah. to us and they circled part of the pumpkin like this orange and i was like well it may have changed in the travel <laughs> that is hilarious that's just like the color matching stuff we've had other funny things in that sea creature uh realm we used to have a mermaid tile and one person sent in a photo and asked if we would make the mermaid look more like his wife <laughs> oh my gosh <laughs> <laughs> That's it's so totally sweet. awesome. So fun. Oh my gosh. <laughs> Even more uh, recently, we've, we made like a, a whole um, birch tree forest, like life size from the ceiling to the floor for, uh, for one customer, which was a super cool project to work on. Uh, and then there was a, a custom lion head. And so we, we sculpted this lion for them. And it turns out they only wanted one. Uh, so we We'd made this whole process. We'd sculpted the thing and made a mold and you know cast it. And so after that, there were lion heads all around the studio, like peeking out behind you know, every corner and shelf. It was pretty funny. So you guys not only do like you know tiles, you you also do like mosaic and pattern, and sometimes even three dimensional. The um, the high dimension pieces have kind of waned in popularity uh, over the last 10 years or so. And it's definitely much more focused on uh, textures and color fields and that kind of thing these days. 
uh, mosaics too and pattern, you know, has been a lot of fun. But I feel like the decorative things we've been doing are um, more about like pattern and surface texture than they are about uh, pine cones and bears anymore. <laughs> yeah. Speaking of like ceramic making, like how much of what you do is depends on chemistry compared to like, you know, artistic vision or scale? A lot of it is yeah. chemistry. I mean, I think that you kind of touched on that with the, the glazes and, um, you know, it's not like paint at all. You can't mix a color and, and look in the pot and see what it's going to be when it, it's done. So it's, it's all about knowing uh, the chemical formulas uh, for, for the colors that you're, you know, hoping to create. Yeah, I think that extends to the clay body too. Um, you know, most people have some familiarity with ceramics, and if you're taking a class or classes right now, Elle, then you know you know the clay you're working with probably has a lot of plasticity, so you can throw it on a wheel or do hand building, and you know it kind of moves and bends to the way you want it. Um, our clay is quite a bit different. If you were working with it, you might be frustrated at first because it's meant to be, you know, tile and hold its flatness. We don't want to, you know, we don't want it curling or warping in, in the kiln. So, oh, right. you know, that even the clay bodies mix of ingredients, I would say is a, there's a chemistry to that and mixing minerals and um, getting that formula just right. And, uh, these these materials come out of the earth and they're kind of ever-changing so that's kind of an ongoing challenge of keeping the stuff in the range of what we accept and you know speaking of this whole process starting from the beginning so how do you develop a new let's say collection of product line i think the the couple of lines that we've designed together they usually start with some uh, sketches out of Anthony's book uh, and I might lean over and say like, hey, those are really cool. What, what's that? You know, mm -hmm. uh, and then and then we talk about, you know, what elements of it I'm responding to or, you know, are kind of fun and interesting for him uh, and then expand on it from there. Uh, we usually like a line to have a few different um, parts and pieces to it. So maybe there's four new designs, but they're all made in the same technique. Uh, they should all sort of talk to one another so that they feel like a group, but enough of uh, a variation in them that uh, you might help people fulfill, you know, a different design need with each one. Um, yeah, I was just looking at the notebooks we had going for inline. And you know, I was just doing kind of like these goofy sketches all over the place, and Bell was, you know, saw something in them and and kind of took it over and you know made all the connections and you know just really made it a line. Mm -hmm. um, it's like twelve designs; they're really elemental, um, and you can do infinity of stuff with them. It's really. Um, it's really a fun, it it's is, like it's a, a little sub-designer's toolkit, if you think of the whole yeah. line as a toolkit. We made flashcards for those so that the designers could play with the different patterns and put different oh. together to create different designs. And, you know, if you set them all in stacks, they look one way. And if you offset them, it reads like a different pattern. And so it was super fun to play with those. Uh, and actually that line, 
kind of got its start in that we were looking for a, a new manufacturing technique. You know, you were thinking about how to add uh, a pattern to the tile during its kind of the tile making process instead of doing a casting process, which is a little more time intensive. Uh, and so that one was sort of partially driven by process and technique. Yeah, well. it began with a cutter idea. Um, and then, you know, this really wonderful line came out of it, which was really gratifying. Uh, so like after, you know, you drew sketches and then what you do? Well, we ordered one cutter, a one single tile cutter, just to see, I, you know, I just wanted to see if it would work. <laughs> <laughs> and so in this case, the design um, part of it were blades that didn't cut all the way through and they just kind of impressed on the surface of the tile. And I didn't know if it would displace a lot of the clay and make kind of berm around the line, but we got one and it worked and we just kind of, you know, threw the whole notebook at the, at the metal guy and, uh, you know, and voila, a line of tile. <laughs> so once they're cut out, uh, they are kind of slide along onto a board to dry, uh, which is a few days. Uh, and then they get the first firing process, which is the bisque firing takes it up to around 2000 degrees and it changes it from that point you know when the clay is wet it's soft and malleable uh, when it dries it's kind of chalky and dusty and really brittle uh, and then when it goes through that first bisque firing it becomes more like what you think of like a dinner plate you know a ceramic hard surface that can get wet and it won't come apart uh, you drop it on the floor it will you know still break pieces but uh, our, our tile's pretty strong. Sometimes it bounces. <laughs> it breaks the floor. <laughs> uh, and then after that bisque part of the process, it goes for glazing. Uh, that was the next sort of step in the inline series was, uh, could we add color to that line successfully? Uh, or did we just need to use one color over the whole surface of the tile? Uh, and a lot of the things that we love about our glazes, that the translucent colors uh, really pool in those low parts of the designs and read almost like a darker secondary color. Uh, so the patterns and the textures really stand out in a lot of our glazes. Uh, so it was fun to, to run through a bunch of experiments, order up some uh, test colors and see what was happening. In the end, we decided we couldn't do a two color process on it. It just, uh, the line wasn't really deep enough to hold a second color and it kind of ran out all over the place. And yeah, we couldn't get a, a consistently reproducible result that was satisfying, which was okay, really, because, you know, um, you know, look at that line, you know, it feels really elemental. It feels, you know, it's very simple and elegant in its own way. And, you know, I think that that kind of fits um, kind of the way people are designing rooms uh, for the last decade or so. Um, and then it also kind of, when I look back, I think like, well, that was our first collection that we put out as the new owners of Pratt and Larson. And so it seemed kind of, it seemed kind of right to take it, take it back to some sort of elemental level. Mm. Um, so how many techniques you can apply on ceramic process? I think it's kind of endless. Um, really? Interesting. What are the major ones? So our 
from the like forming side of things, we have um, a, the textured field tile where the textures are, you know, like impressed into the surface of the tiles that we're cutting out. Uh, then there's uh, things like scraffito or embossed, uh, and those are cast. So each tile is made one at a time where those low lines uh, help catch the glaze and the color. Uh, similar technique, but with a different result are our like, decorative relief pieces. Uh, raised design on them. They're also run on a, a, a ram press and cast, um, but the glaze runs away from the high points instead of cooling into the low parts. So you have maybe a flower design or, uh, or pine cones uh, and the glaze pull away from the high decorative elements uh, and create another whole look. Um, yeah. And, and then for the glazing kind of techniques that we use, uh, there's what we would kind of call like a monochrome technique where you just apply a single glaze over the whole surface. Uh, we do that poly wash technique where they're wiping it back and applying the accent color into the low parts. Yeah, and then they spray a final coat. And clear over coat that. it. Uh, then we have a hand painting process that we do where they're adding color to the raised elements. So maybe you want the flowers in the border to be painted and green leaves and so they'll go in and, and paint the decorative elements yeah that's the most kind of traditional or yeah mm -hmm. i think anyone can picture that there's you know paintbrush and they use the, the glazes as pigments and you know they paint out the bear or the flowers and colors um but like you were talking about before that the colors don't look like the the result so some of the time you know the painters are working with all these cups of red glaze because there there's a high iron content, so everything looks red. And, yeah, uh, kind of rusty red. Yeah. And then the pigments express themselves in the firing process. So the the painters have to you know be aware of you know the red might be a green pigment. Right, right. And so there you know if you don't keep on your game, you could paint all the branches green and all the leaves golden. Uh, right, or you get switched around. Uh, and then there's still one more technique, um, which we call color fill. Uh, and that's our glazing technique for the raised line designs of motif and highline. Mm. Uh, those designs, instead of having the line pressed into the tile, the line stands tall. Uh, and so we in the sections that are created by those little raised lines in all kinds of different colors. Uh, and we use a bulbing technique for that that we call color fill. They're filling in the sections with color. There's so much stuff. So when we go to train showrooms, it's a lot, you know, every showroom, uh, the salespeople are learning about all the, you know, the lines in their showroom. Maybe they have 50 other vendors or 100 vendors, you know, every showroom's a little different. Uh, and so we come in and it's like, okay, do you have an hour to spend with me? I'm going to try to teach you everything I, you know. Uh, but it, it's it's a lot. Uh, I think mostly what we try to impart to sales teams is uh, that they can call us, that we have excellent customer service and they should just call us and talk through it. And uh, if they've got a designer with a specific project and they're not sure if you know we can do it or not, to just give us a call and, and ask us. Because uh, if there's a way, you know, we often want to figure it out. Yeah, we're we're there for our customers, and you know, we're happy to hold hands and take any question, no matter how small. Um, 
we've both got a brilliant um, training class for folks. You know, it really, as vast as the line is, you know, um, she's got it kind of like staged. So like, oh, if we only have a few minutes, we can just go through the basics of like, Pratt and Larson tile. We have all these, we have all these shapes. <laughs> We have all these trims. You can now design bathrooms and kitchens. Go, you know, like you, you can, you know, get the gist of it. Um, and then there's sort of like Pratt and Larson 200 to 400 level, which you know takes that the, at least that full hour of going through these different collections and the different glaze and coloring techniques that you can achieve with your requests. And I think that goes into our design kind of thoughts too when we make a new line is does this fit into the parameters that already exist in some way that makes it easy for a salesperson to understand uh, you know it's it's a great thing when you can say oh well, this line will use the same color palette as color fill uh, and it works the same way as these two other lines you already know and use all the time uh, it's just four new patterns or or you know a kind of variation on that concept yeah. uh, and uh, and we try to do that with our pricing structure too, because again, it's kind of partnership of if I make this really confusing, uh, you know, salespeople are going to say like, "Whoa, it's too much. I'm going to go over here and sell this other thing that's easier." <laughs> yeah. right? uh, I think you know, you mentioned like, oh, there's lots of places where there's seven color options, and that's it. Uh, and and that comes out of the kind of the the what makes sense for a business you know if you have seven colors they can all fire at the same temperature they're you know, there's they all kind of play nice together you know how they're going to interact with each other uh the stuff that we do is gone like kind of so beyond that you, you know all our glazes fire at different temperatures you, you know things can't be near other things in the kiln and uh, you definitely can't combine you know these things with those things and uh so it can get really complicated but i think over the years having been founded by artists that's where you know they came at it from yes we have 10 shades of blue already but this 11th shade of blue is awesome that we need to add it to the line uh, and so we just you know kept a lot of that philosophy yeah that, that goes back to the philosophy question of like you know what problems are we trying to solve out there well you know people need expansive options sometimes and we want to be there for them and, you know if we only had seven colors we would try to do those as best we could but you know uh, it's not enough really we want we want to um, we want to have all the fun <laughs> right, right. And how do you two end up in the tile making or ceramic art industry? I studied ceramics in college uh, and uh, came out to Portland from the East Coast. Uh, and I think, you know, my mom was like, what are you going to do with a ceramics degree? Like, what a totally ridiculous thing. Uh, and so then I got this job working here in the casting department doing mold making. And I was like, use my ceramics degree <laughs> it just stuck uh whenever i would get kind of uh feel like i'd reached a limit in a department i would look around and there'd be something else to learn and another spot that i could move to so i went from the casting department to mosaics uh i did customer service for a while uh i tried to leave and then got sucked back in when they said, uh, "Go, you can go train showrooms and travel." And I thought, "Well, that sounds fun." So I 
and back in marketing <laughs> and merchandising things and and that was that was um it was just always like another step to take until until step as owner uh, and and your experience is i think really similar here yeah i was a fine arts major in college and, and wound up moving out west from michigan to portland and uh and for me, I moved in next to the um, production manager at the time, uh, and I met him on my like day three in Portland. There was a little neighborhood get together, and he was like, "Oh yeah, I I work for this place. You know, you should come down and check it out." And so he actually heard uh, said that to my girlfriend at the time, who I moved out with, and offered her a job, and then. Uh, it was for tile making, and at the time, it was a lot of like throwing around 25-pound blocks of tile and cutting them up, and you know, using the lever to push through the little it's extruder. Really um, so they, you know, she was like, "I don't want to do that." And uh, so yeah, I started out in tile making and made a a lot of tile, and and then I moved to the polychrome department where we did hand painting. I managed for a while and then I got lured into the showroom even and was uh, worked in sales which was really one of the hardest things for me because <laughs> I'm not really um, that's not my strong suit or my calling but it was good to do um, it was a great experience um, and then I worked in displays and worked on the merchandising part of things um, and then got an opportunity to run the shop at that point um, as the production manager. And then, yeah, and then, uh, and, uh, you know, after a little bit of that, the owners were looking to retire and I seized the opportunity. Mm -hmm. We thought, this is too good of a thing. We got to keep going, you know? Right. And how did you two go from being the employees of Pratt & Larson to the owners and presidents of the company? So they were looking to um, to sell the company, you know, sort of initially, and they found an investor who they went kind of a long way of the process. And then they realized uh, that that guy didn't care about tile at all. Right. And I think they that that suddenly, you know, like, made its way through to them that that's not what they wanted uh, for their business, which, you know, was kind of their baby. And it, it's yeah, it's not good for their legacy. Yeah, yeah exactly. Exactly. They were, they were um, I think they, you know, the, this investor guy maybe didn't have, you know, maybe his vision didn't align or most certainly it didn't align <laughs> with what they wanted for their legacy and, you know, what they spent their whole adult careers building. And so they killed the deal and put it to the management group that, you know, hey, we're, we're back to square one and we're open to anything. And so Bella and I- When we got that news, we were at like a weekend getaway with some friends and a, um, a lot of people that we were with that weekend were entrepreneurs and business owners themselves. And they were like, oh, you guys should buy the company. And we were like, what? That's what? Really? And then, like over the course of that weekend, they were like, no, you should totally do it. You can absolutely do this. And they kind of laid out a plan and said, you know, you would talk to SBA and you should do this. And, you should. and we were like, 
oh, maybe we should do that. Uh, so there was just sort of a, an element of, of luck to that moment being surrounded by this great group of cheerleaders. Right. Uh, so yeah, we put this, together. this trip was planned, you know, I don't know, weeks or months in yeah, advance. Was, and you know, the news few. came down on us at the time, you know, right before we left for this. It was a Robert Burns dinner that our friend hosts. And um, yeah, they, they, these guys were great. They just pumped us up and, you know, and like they were, you know, a couple of them do investing and they were like, well, we, we may want in on this. It was really, it was great. It was yeah. a, a super lucky moment for, you know, for that all kind of that info. Uh, so we came back and we pulled together a plan and we, you know, spent, I don't know, weeks kind of pouring over the numbers. Like, you know, what's the worst case scenario? What happens if like all these clients disappear? What happens if this happens? You know, what, we, what we did not question is what happens if there's a pandemic? <laughs> that, that didn't, right. You know, that didn't run through our spreadsheet <laughs> somehow. So. But we ran all these numbers and we thought like, I think we can make this happen. And we went to uh, Michael and Rita and said, you know, uh, what about us? You know, we want to do this and we think we can do it. And here's all our spreadsheets and numbers that show that how we would do it and that, you know, why we, we think we can. And, uh, and they were super supportive and really just helped us with the whole process and helped us uh you know with all the information we needed to uh convince the, the bank and uh we had a great uh sba loan advisor who you know really uh helped us kind of pull all that stuff together and, and make it through the process uh, but, but i'm not a business person so it was definitely overwhelming uh, you know how to make tile but not so much uh you know the financial reports so we have a great team who helps us with a lot of that and it's been a tremendous learning experience over the last bunch of years uh, you know bell bell really said it we've we've had uh we've been really blessed to have you know really good help and, and good people around us we've got a good team here um and then we just you know, I guess some of it's just luck that we, um, you know, we've had good financial advice and then like the, the people we work with at the bank, they were so encouraging and they were like, you can do this. And we wouldn't be, we wouldn't be backing you if we didn't believe you can totally do this. And, Cause I think they could see like, we we probably looked a little like okay. deer in the headlights, you know, at some points of this process. Yeah. But, That's um, so funny. And I think we spent the first couple of years just trying to um, show our team here that, you know, they've known us for 30 years as like the person working next to them, but that we are capable of making those big decisions uh, and that uh, we have a vision for the company. And, and it took a little while to kind of, you know, I think build everyone's confidence in us. And now I feel like the last year or year and a half or so, we've really been um, able to drive our own vision uh, between um, new lines and kind of shifting the look into a more contemporary kind of clean look, uh, shifting our marketing and branding. Uh, it feels like we've made, we've come a long way towards kind of moving that uh, giant airplane carrier in a new <laughs> direction, just very slowly. Yeah, and you know, speaking of that, so what's your vision for the future of Pratt and Larson? 
We talked about this a little bit. I, I think, you know, the kind of, there's one big thing on our dreaming list, which is an, a new building that's all one level because three really challenging to, to make tile on physically. Uh, so, so a new location would be kind of a, a good piece of it. And we talk about like, well, what would that mean? You know, if we had a building that was bigger than we needed, could we bring in other companies around us who do you know, cool things that would relate to the work that we do, kind of building a, a community? Um, we've been doing a little more uh, collaboration work. So we're working on a tile line uh, with Cat uh, and Roger Ceramics, uh, husband and wife pottery team who make super cool pots uh, and artwork. And, uh, and so we're working on a line with them, which is really fun and exciting. Uh, and we've been making um, lighting parts for a company called Cedar and Moss, who's based here in Portland and uh, oh. wonderful lights. And so it's been really fun to learn about, you know, kind of making more dimensional pieces, canisters for can lights and sconce plates and that kind of thing. Things that are not our tile kind of wheelhouse. Uh, right. And I want to do more of that kind of thing. Yeah, super fun and gratifying. And, you know, just, you know, working with other artists and collaborating and just to sort of combine our voices uh, to make cool stuff. It's, that's great. Yeah, that sounds great, and I'm excited to see what's next for Pratt & Larson. So towards the end, I always ask my guests the same question. So looking back, were there moments or factors in your life that helped you to be where you are right now? That's because of luck. So many things felt like the timing all just fell together. That, you know, yeah, I, I think I feel lucky all the time. <laughs> I also think we put in a lot of work uh, and, and a lot of effort and energy into it. So it, it, it's definitely, you know, luck lined us up and then we took it from there and, and ran. And, and I think that's um, everything from like realizing that we work together so well and that you know, we would be a good uh, partnership at home as well as uh, at work. Uh, and to, to that moment of, you know, being surrounded by supportive friends when the idea that we could buy the company uh, came up or, um, yeah, I, I, you know, I guess I, I feel lucky all the time, but I, I think you make your own luck too, you know, by seizing those opportunities that, that come. Yeah, I think about it uh, from time to time that, you know, it is, feels kind of like this crazy thing that I wound up moving out west to portland and, and moving in next door to the guy who ran this place at the time and that that uh, you know that that i'm still here that yeah that you know i, I stuck with this I've, i got new jobs every five or six years but i just stayed in the same home base um, yeah jobs yeah. within this this company yeah yeah, yeah it, it, but yeah like like bell said there you know gosh there's a you know a lot of hard work behind it you know we we had to earn our knowledge of our stuff, <laughs> so yeah, it, it, uh, it's a kind of a, a long arc uh, to get where we are now. Yeah, I love that. And in the end of the podcast, I always love to ask my guests five short questions because I was interested to in know what other creatives like. So the first one is, what's your favorite book? 
So this is a hard one. I love to read, but I feel the last year I've been like sucked into news and terrible things that I've, I'm trying to escape from. Uh, so I think my current favorite book is not a particularly new one, but it's uh, All the Light We Cannot See, mm. which is uh, Anthony Doerr. Um, there's these beautiful moments where uh, his dad, his daughter's blind, and he builds these tiny miniatures of their whole neighborhood so that she can learn uh, the streets and the paths by touching the model and then she can go out into the world and know where, you know, count the doors uh, between her house and the bakery or uh, just, just a lot of beautiful kind of art moments in it like that. Yeah, Belle, Belle's a voracious reader. And yeah, even though she's probably looked at too much news this past year, she, she's also read dozens of books. <laughs> um, yeah, it's, it's hard to pick just one you know, and these type of things, but I, I like a Portland author named Patrick DeWitt. Mm -hmm. You know, I, he's he's only got like three or four books built so far, but um, the last one I read is is really terrific called French Exit. And uh, it's, it's about a mother and son who are of great wealth, but it's all been lost. And then, then, they moved to Paris and things happened. <laughs> <laughs> that sounds like an interesting plot. Yeah, he's he's got a real gift for dialogue, so it's a, just a delight to read. So the second one is who is your favorite artist? These are hard questions. <laughs> <laughs> These are not quick fire questions. <laughs> I'll let you do that one first. Oh yeah, I I it's um yeah, again, it's hard to like say just a name, uh, but I I love modern art. I like the um, I like the whole story. You know, going back to impressionism, which feels very, very kind of like that's like a dull answer um, in a way. Uh, but it, it's just remarkable when you kind of think of the context and how radical it was at the time and how it changed the way people see. Um, and then everything kind of started to fall in line after that with like Van Gogh and then Picasso. And, uh, you know, currently I think someone who keeps acting on those notions is David Hockney. So there, there's a, there's a few names <laughs> that, that I really like. I think for me that um, the, the magic is uh, that you know, we go to a lot of art museums when we're traveling, uh, and I, I just like to be surprised. Uh, so we go in and wander off into different rooms, and you know, I never know what's uh, going to catch my eye. And sometimes it's modern, and sometimes it's super traditional, and sometimes it's like the Egyptian wing, you know, like just up into something new, and there's inspiration in so much of it. Uh, I often find myself drawn to textiles, uh, that informs a lot of the designing that we do. Um, and I would have to say, if I have to pick one uh, at the moment, it's Ruta Sawa. I'm uh, really in love with uh, her wire knit sculptures. So fantastic. Uh, and how they play the light in the shadows. Love that. Um, do you have a favorite hotel? We had to think about this one for a while. We travel a lot for work. and. I don't usually stay in like super fancy places. Um, I think 
we really liked uh, the South Congress Hotel in Austin. It was super fun. Uh, and they, um, I don't know, we like got bumped up into a great room. And, uh, and then the Alfond in Winter Park. Uh, mm. Alfond is tied to a, a college. The hotel is full of their artwork. It's, it's great. It's, yeah. it's a really fun place to stay. It's kind of like a hotel and museum or gallery yeah. at the same time. What's the most fun place you've been before? I think that ties back to my other answer of uh, give me an art museum anytime. Mm-hmm. I'm, I'm so happy uh, to just wander around and, and take it all in. Uh, and so I, I always try to make time for that no matter where we are when we travel. Uh, every city's museum is different and it's, uh, you know, it's fun. And, and places surprise you. Like uh, in Dallas, I, I don't, I don't know. I just didn't really, it didn't occur to me that they would have like this fantastic art museum and that it's free for, you know, anybody who wants. Yeah. Art museums are fun. And we're, we're actually really good about making some space and time to, to, you know, whenever we're traveling to see whatever's happening around us, those towns. Um, my answer for the fun place is New York city. Um, And, New York City with Belle is especially fun because, you know, she uh, grew up there and knows how to hack the subway system. So, I mean, me coming from Michigan, uh, you know, where my knowledge of public transit was taking a bus once in a while. Um, The Motor City, you just have to have your own car and drive, right? So then going through the subway system, Belle's just like, Okay, hold the back of my coat and we're going to go two floors down to get the express that's going to cut our time in half. And you know, you're just like flying through levels and people. And our first trip together into New York, my family's in New York City. So we took the, it was a red eye into Newark. Uh, and then, you know, you take the commuter line or whatever. And then we get on the subway to get uptown to see my mom. And it's like rush hour, you know. It's mm-hmm. like, is going to be crazy right you know luggage bags kind of rolling around <laughs> behind us and it's like okay it's going to be so crowded like don't lose me <laughs> you know and you, so it's like switching trains back and forth and we had to get across the town on the you know mm-hmm. the, and all the way up and it, it was hilarious yeah and- it's so exhilarating you know new york new york you know and uh yeah but just coming from the all-night flight, yeah, sort of sleep. sleeping on the train from New Jersey, <laughs> and then uh, coming into was Penn Station. Yeah, that sounds. And uh, it was early June, so there was everybody rushing in all different directions, and half of the people were in caps and gowns. Yeah, and that was, was super like, funny. That somehow added another dimension. There to was it. a huge graduation going on, and like, what's that college on? Uh, so that was like, yeah, the, the train station was filled with, with graduates and cap and gown. And it was just like chaos. It was great. Right, right. So last question, how do you guys decompress? <laughs> we, we laughed at this one, like decompress? What? <laughs> we don't know what that is. <laughs> <laughs> uh, it's hard, you know, because we talk about work all day at work and then we go home and talk about work all evening. Uh, it's, <laughs> we try to set some parameters around that. Uh, we go for a lot of walks. Uh, it's like, you know, hey, okay, it's seven o'clock. Like, can we stop talking about work now? You know, well, I just want to talk about this one thing, you know, like, can we stop? Yeah, after that, 
okay and yeah. uh, so it, there's some really like mindful <laughs> moments of like not talking about work this weekend you know or but uh, i just have one more thing but it's kind <laughs> of a nerd it's not like a complicated people issue it's more like and then expand to three hour talk yeah yeah it's super hard so so what do we do we go camping uh i've been riding my bike a lot that helps um i do some sort of like tony yoga stretch routine <laughs> that helps I, I thought about this uh, you know going back to that new york experience when we go we stay in this little spare room at Bell's mom and stepdad's place. And it's on the 10th floor. And, you know, we're often there in summertime, June. I don't know, it just works out. It's been like a, several times where we get there and we take the red eye. And then for some reason, I sleep like a baby. Uh, something about that trip is like, I just sleep for nine hours straight. It's beautiful. <laughs> In it's the super counterintuitive. Yeah. And it's uh, always like garbage trucks and all like just so loud. It's the floor, but somehow it like bounces, right? And echoes so that it's like they might as well be right out of the window. But it just kind of like, <laughs> I think it just shapes my dreams or something. It's really mm -hmm. cool. That's super funny. Yeah, it really is. Well, Bell and Anthony, thank you both so much for joining me here. I honestly learned so much about ceramic and tile making from our conversation and you two are so easy and fun to talk to. It was super fun talking with you. Yeah, it's been really a pleasure. Enjoyed. And if you are ever in Portland, you should come and get the whole visual. <laughs> we would love to give you a tour. Thanks for listening to the Red Angle Podcast. If you like this episode, subscribe and review us on Apple Podcast, Spotify, or wherever you listen. You can stay connected with us through Instagram at the Red Angle Podcast or reach out to me personally at Elo Design. I linked everything about my guests in the show notes, so please go check it out. Thanks again for listening, and see you guys next Wednesday.